0: you're listening to the psychedelic invest podcast where we speak with founders ceos investors advisors experts and thought leaders in the brave new world of psychedelics and entheogenic medicines brought to you by psychedelic invest bringing you unparalleled psychedelic investing data and analysis. Psychedelic Invest is the industry's leading resource for those looking to invest in the burgeoning psychedelic industry. For more information and to access all of the podcast episodes, check out our website at psychedelicinvest.com slash podcast. And now, here's the host of the Psychedelic Invest podcast, Bruce Eckfeld.
1: Welcome, everyone. This is the Psychedelic Invest Podcast. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. Our guest today is Anand Shahi. He is president and managing partner at Bar Capital. He's also co-founder and managing partner at Sparkneck. We're going to talk to them about the world of psychedelics and uh, where the investments are, where the investments are going, where the opportunities are, what does this market look like? Obviously very kind of interesting, uh, somewhat early, very dynamic situation. A lot of things going on uh, kind of at multiple, multiple levels in terms of psychedelics, and we're going to talk about where the industry is, how it relates to other industries, particularly cannabis, being a lot of folks coming out of the cannabis space into that. So we're going to have a conversation around that and kind of see uh, what an on perspectives, particularly from the investment point of view and, and maybe where some of this stuff might be going. So with all that, Anand, welcome to the program. Thank you, Bruce, great to
2: be here and, and great to talk about psychedelics. You know, I, yeah. I didn't, a, a year ago or two years ago, we've known each other for a little, a little time now, I would not have guessed that I would be in, in
1: the space that's uh, <laughs> <just> kind of
2: <laughs> naturally uh, evolved that way and and so I'm, I'm excited to talk to you about it.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's one of the things I love about psychedelics is people that I knew two or three years ago I would have never, <laughs> never thought I would gotten involved in psychedelics. Now all of a sudden art is totally interested and it, it's just a fascinating space, fascinating, fascinating space. Let's get a little bit of your background, you know, both on the kind of the investment side and, uh, and the cannabis side, and then kind of talk a little bit about how psychedelics came up for you and, and why psychedelics now and then we can, we can kind of talk about what you've been doing and what you see in the market.
2: Sure. I'll give you a very quick background of myself. I was born in India, lived in Europe, and, and really came to the U.S. in high school onward. So I have a very global perspective. And basically, I can relate to people no matter where they're from, just given that background. And, and in my career, I focused on finance and investments. Uh, I'm a chartered financial analyst. have worked for large companies like Merrill Lynch and Morgan Stanley. have worked for hedge funds and really created Bar Capital in 2017 to focus on investing in helping high-growth verticals, the first of which was cannabis, as you know. And so we've launched a tech-enabled platform for our network of investors and operators called SparkNet. And SparkNet is, is really a private network. We're highlighting things that represent the future. So we cover cannabis, psychedelics, Crypto, blockchain, NFTs, anything with technology really in it. So fintech, ag tech, biotech, all of these things that are a little harder to navigate for institutional investors and high net worth investors. And so psychedelics, you asked about the reason I thought it was a great area to focus on. I'll start with the personal reason first, and, and then I'll kind of go into the investor reason. The, the personal reason is is very simple. You know, mental wellness is a very broad category, and it was kind of cute before COVID because you could download an app and meditate for, you know, <laughs> exactly. X, min- X minutes a day and do your yoga and your
1: gratefulness
2: and <laughs> Yeah, you were, you know, spiritual, and you could tell your buddies and everybody about how you did this and that and share your data. Then COVID happened, and I think at the same time, everybody, social media expanded exponentially more, both in the political arena as well as the kind of branding and and personal identity arena. And so all of those factors, uh, along with the stresses of regular life, both in terms of economically as well as this whole seclusion period that we've gone through, I think have only enhanced the crisis that we have and so yeah. when i start, start to see the data on how psychedelics were and so our, our play in cannabis by the way is is kind of both on the medical and, and recreational side our play in psychedelics is almost purely medicinal yeah. and it's focused on things like depression anxiety treating addiction you know, and then PTSD and bipolar. Those are kind of some of the reasons that we got in because the data and the lack of kind of innovation in that space by pharmaceutical companies is sort of staggering. You know, um, in terms of FDA approvals and kind of mental health therapeutics, the last big one, I think, was Selexa in 1998. Xanax was in 1981. Uh, Jeez, really? you, you know, so there's yeah. a huge gap in terms of what's out there. And I think a lot of the information that's coming out now and not only just the medicine as, as a product itself, but how you can integrate psychedelics into therapy yeah. um, and kind of train the brain to get out of the neural pathways that lead to these issues and, and into new ones and kind of reset in, in many ways how the mind is functioning and focusing on the day-to-day as well as kind of anxiety about the future I think all of those are powerful reasons on the personal side I have many friends family members you know I, I live a very stressful life by choice yeah. all of these things have shown me the issues that exist with the current kind of way of thinking in the current system and so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of excited really about what's coming out on the psychedelics front
1: yeah yeah no it's fascinating and, and a lot of the same reasons that we've gotten involved in it is that same thing is, is looking at you know, both the conditions, the, you know, mental health and some physical issues that seem just woefully addressed or under addressed by traditional pharmaceuticals and therapeutic practices and, you know, how there seems to be some really interesting, innovative ways in which psychedelics are, you know, helping people with with these conditions. But also this, the other area that we see is this um, kind of hyper-performance area, right? Folks that are actually high-performance individuals and, you know, are using psychedelics for various, consciousness change, you know, ability to kind of think in different ways, come up with different kinds of ideas, both individually and as groups. It's just, it's fascinating kind of the the various potential applications of, of some of these things. I guess, how do you kind of structure the market a little bit? Because I think one of the big issues with psychedelics is that it is, it's a kind of a catch-all and we have plant medicines, we've got animal medicines, we've got lab medicines. Is, is there any kind of taxonomy or categorization that you use when you're kind of thinking from an investor point of view when you're looking at psychedelics
2: yeah no that's a great question it, it was really a learning experience to seek out how to approach the space because I knew nothing and when I say nothing I nothing about the space say about two years ago then I started you know if cannabis was the party psychedelics is the after party you know a lot of the folks <laughs> in, the, in the party showed up at the after party so it became a a a easier way to navigate because a lot of the folks i respect as as sources of good information actually start to send me really good information about the psychedelic space so in kind of my initial view there's a few areas that you can look at in in the space you know companies that are focused on patient data those can be very differentiated in terms of uh, what they have access to and It's often companies that already have a lot of patient data that are now getting patient data related to psychedelics. So that's one approach. Clinics is another. So you're going to need, in terms of infrastructure in the psychedelic space, actual clinics that are authorized to dispense psychedelics and treat the patient properly and make sure there's enough trained staff to deal with that. And so that leads me to the next category, which is really ancillary companies that are focused on training and education, both for the patient as well as the physician or therapist or other staff, healthcare staff that need to know what they're doing in terms of dosage and follow-up, etc. Then there's, of course, the kind of sexier, kind of multiple side of things, which is the drug discovery side, where you could have really high-quality IP Intellectual property in the space of, of of psychedelics, and and you've already seen some of these examples on the public side take place uh, in the last few years in terms of actually monetizing some of those opportunities. There's also kind of the the retreat business, which is for us not as interesting because we don't know how to differentiate. It's more of the hospitality model where you know you can go and do a retreat in I don't know Peru and you know have an experience. It's hard to track and differentiate in that side, but you know we we do see some businesses on that front as well.
1: Yeah, just given your experience in cannabis, what's the kind of compare and contrast? Like, what do you see between these industries that are similar? What do you see that is different? I guess what have you been able to leverage or or borrow from your learnings and you know strategy and approaches to cannabis and to psychedelics?
2: That's a great question. So I think you mentioned it actually when you said there there could be a performance enhancing aspect right I'd say that's similar to cannabis you can kind of microdose psychedelics you can you know use cannabis so, so athletes I know re- many retired athletes NFL NBA players that use a lot of CBD for example for treating chronic pain where nothing else really has worked so similarly in psychedelics you could use use them for treating depression in in acute ways, you know, once you have a proper protocol and it's tied into other things like therapy. So there's some similarities there. Where where I think it's different is I don't see a huge market for recreational use, nor do I see a huge regulatory willingness to allow recreational use in the U.S. and beyond because just look at the cannabis space and the recreational front. You know, we, we have majority of states now medicinal recreational in cannabis allowing it but we still have no federal regulatory solution in that space so i think psychedelics will be much harder to allow on the recreational side which is unfortunate because there is already a i'll say there's a a black market for psychedelics on the recreational side and then there's like a side pocket black market from you know certain players who are looking eventually to go into the legal market but they they they're not they, they don't have a pathway to do so in terms of generating revenues yet to enter the market on the, on, the, on the legal side. So it's interesting. There A lot of the players from the cannabis side that were early into cannabis are now in psychedelics and see yeah. a lot of parallels. But I think what's common is most of them are focused kind of on the medicinal side only on the psychedelic side.
1: Yeah. Well, and and I mean, it seems like the challenge with with cannabis has been trying to get it through traditional kind of drug development, FDA approval processes is, you know, at best you distill it down to individual compounds, individual molecules from the cannabis plant, and you try to get those put through. But then, you know, is the efficacy really there? Are we talk about the entourage. Like there's this, there's this kind of complexity in the thing that you're dealing with. And on the psychedelic side, while it's... It, it's, a much, it's a much more sort of straightforward compound model. Like we're dealing with so many different compounds. And in fact, they're, they're just so different. I mean, the difference between psilocybin and ibogaine and LSD, you know, are just – they're so radically different from a source point of view and, and what they – well, they may have sort of similar psychedelic effects. I mean, their, their compounds are, are vastly different. It's not like they're all coming from the same plant. That's a great point. You know, so
2: just to step back a, a bit, yeah. you know, Bar Capital is an investment bank. So we – help emerging companies in these spaces or established ones raise more capital or connect them to um, other players that are kind of complementary to them and help those businesses develop that, that are legitimate and looking to help the end consumer ultimately. Sparknet is kind of the tech platform we use to, to feature these opportunities for our private network of credit investors. And so what I kind of tell folks that are entering the space is to approach it from a few levels one is i think the funds that are in the psychedelic space are a great way to learn and invest in a more diversified way Mm -hmm. because the funds uh, the good ones at least they have very good advisory boards with physicians and scientists and therapists and people who have run clinics and know how patient care works and how you have to follow up and check in and to your point you know, the psychedelic space goes across psilocybin, GHB, MDMA, DMT, you know, ketamine, LSD, ibogaine, uh, ayahuasca, all of which are dramatically different in many cases. So really having the right set of resources to do your due diligence, I think, starts more in the, in the psychedelic space at a fund, And then you really should develop, if you're a family office, for example, a set of experts that can help you evaluate how uh, say if you invest in a drug discovery company mm-hmm. how the approach is on that front and what the data really is showing
1: underlying the uh, the solution that they're looking to launch yeah and do you see i mean is the is sort of drug discovery the the big play here or i guess how much how much do you see between kind of the drug discovery companies, the companies that are working on kind of therapeutic models or therapeutic facilities, you know, the training, like, like they each have kind of, <laughs> you know, pros and cons. I mean, how, how do you kind of evaluate or how do you kind of balance some of these things from a risk reward cost point of view?
2: Yeah, uh, again, a great question. Yeah, I think it really comes down to what your goals are in the space. So you, you should kind of think through a theme on what you want to approach it. And if you're you're going to do it across some of the areas I described before, you know, patient data, clinics, ancillary, drug discovery, maybe even retreat businesses, the drug discovery is definitely the highest risk, highest reward part of it. But if you know what you're doing in that space or if you have a background in the healthcare space, that could be much more mitigated if you know how the trial process works and what gets approved in terms of the, the process. You, you never know if something's you know going to go through and, and get approved, but if you know what are some of the key factors that are more likely, in terms of following a process, more likely to get something approved and not have a, a, a self-fault in, in, in that process and that, that the management team of that company really knows what they're doing, they're doing and they've done this in other applications before it can be very rewarding to be in that space but again you need to, to have the resources available to properly assess that and and you still are taking a risk you know yeah. whether it's going to get approved or not
1: it, it's fascinating i mean just my coming out of cannabis and having worked for five six years now with with cannabis companies and in the last year having kind of had some chances to to talk with and work with some of these drug development companies. It is phenomenal how different the approach is. <laughs> the, the drug development folks, I mean, they're coming out of here with like forty years of doing drug research and doing clinical trials and everything like that. I mean, it, it and and they need you know, $300 million <laughs> to go from, I've got an idea of a compound to I can actually bring it to some kind of market. It's really dramatically different in terms of the people that are involved in the kind of process they're trying to put in place.
2: Absolutely. So part of my background was when I was um, at a hedge fund called Atlas Capital, one of the areas I covered was biotech and you know new drugs coming out, orphan applications and, and you know if you, you, we were talking about the cannabis space and GW Pharma is the the, the big yep. example of being bought out by jazz for seven billion plus and having a very focused application for epilepsy especially in in, in children and being a consistent developer of that but it took them I think they were around for 20 years before they got to that point right so when you look at the psychedelic space, and I assessed companies in my hedge fund days and, and developed probability models of at which phase they, they may be successful. And if, it, if so, what the probability was at the next phase, et cetera. And I would call up physicians. And, and, and the other part of it was, how likely are you to prescribe this to your patients, yeah. even if it gets approved? Because that's the other part of the battle. After this podcast recording, actually, it's fascinating. I have a call with a, a family office that referred a deal a company to me that's looking to raise capital and they have different um, kind of products in, in the process of approval the family office itself has been in the healthcare space and has run successfully clinics and, and the the principals have been on the board of many healthcare companies They have a very deep network especially in the East Coast so that's why I'm focused on it and but but you know the, the product set it ranges from things that provide you know daily mental clarity to To more in-depth kind of uh, resetting of how you're thinking so it's it's fascinating how those things are evolving because part of it is getting through the regulatory hurdles and the other part is the sales and marketing right and the distribution and so if those things come together then you may have something you know much more interesting and potentially uh, more rewarding
1: and what do you what do you see as being kind of the market factors here because it's like on one hand, it's really interesting to see the potential application of some of these psychedelics to some of these conditions, right? And we, and we kind of rattled off a few in terms of addiction and PTSD and depression and things. These are areas where pharmaceutical companies have made a lot of money <laughs> you know, with with drugs that you need to kind of can take continuously and for extended periods of time. You know, some of these therapeutic models with these psychedelics are like, yeah, you go through a course of you know, half a dozen treatments and you might be good for several years. I mean, do you see, I mean, do you see or anticipate kind of various players in the market promoting or not promoting a lot of this use of psychedelics in different ways just because of financial interest?
2: It's a nuanced answer, but here's how I think through it. My parents are both physicians. And so through them and their network, I learned a lot about where physicians will be willing to change what they've been doing before. But in order to make them do that, you need to, I'm talking about the, the good physicians, right? I'm not talking about the oxycodone prescribing, yeah. you know, uh, free flow capital focused only uh, physicians out there, uh, which is a very small percentage, obviously. But um, in terms of their process, they, they are, at the end of the day, part scientists, you know, they, they have to follow the data. And, and so the data has to be clear differentiation and kind of standard of care being improved, by switching. So that's a key element. And so, you know, when when these companies look at the budget for making that happen, I almost always multiply that by some number, uh, you know, because because there's also taboos culturally uh, that are associated that the physician can usually, you know, take their perspective and their personal background away when they're dealing with other sorts of drugs that are out there. But because of the association of things like cannabis and psychedelics with popular culture and yeah. what happened you know, in the 60s and 70s, et cetera, which a lot of these physicians lived through, right? And yeah. kind of that aspect of it, I think, is a budget multiplier where it's going to cost you more to convince them to switch. Whereas therapists may actually be more open to it because they see how flawed the current drugs are and how limiting some of those current drugs are. But at the same time, they, they have a whole process associated with it. So they can point to, hey, this is what I did, and this is what the patient took, and here's the outcome. When it's a new introduction, there's training involved, it's always a bigger hurdle. But I think the data is that convincing. And so given the increase in the crisis on mental health, we need to rethink and get rid of those taboos. So I think as an industry, psychedelics are going to have to focus in on specific psychedelics. And differentiate them because some people might have a lot of issues with, I don't know, ayahuasca or, or they might be more prone to use psilocybin, you know, than, than some of the other forms. So so I think it's it's, it's a tricky piece to figure that out and it's going to take some time. So you're, you're going to need to have enough capital to get through that. But I think pharma companies definitely like they did in the cannabis side and they're doing it more and more now they see the opportunity because they have stale products basically that are not that effective and are, have in most cases, much worse side effects, you know, that can happen if they're not uh, effective for the patient. And so I think they're going to eventually approach the space and say, hey, how can we plug this into our existing
1: distribution system? Yeah. Yeah. And certainly, I mean, I I think the the interesting one for me has been the um, the insurance companies. <laughs> I mean, you know, they're they're looking at, well, do I continue to pay for you know long term pharmaceutical, you know, traditional pharmaceutical treatment, or do I you know fund this you know psychedelic assisted therapy process, which over the course of half a dozen treatments may and I don't I don't actually I have to output a whole lot of money for the next couple of years. So I'm curious how they play out in this. this
2: do, those are the those are the factors that change. Perspectives, you know, it's not always the pharma industry that decides or the yeah. physicians that decide. It, it can be things like the insurance company, as you mentioned. So I, I think that I think those calculations are being done right now, and I think many of those players are waiting for more and more data. So you know, the R and D cycle is very key. And obviously, not everybody's going to make money on the drug discovery side, but the ones that do, I think, are going to benefit greatly on that front, even more than the cannabis space, I would say.
1: Yeah, I would agree. And where do you see the investments and the deals right now? Like what, what's actually happening in terms of flow? What kind of calls you're getting? I mean, you mentioned a couple couple of folks that you're working with, but like, what, what do you, where are we in terms of, you know, from an investment point of view in some of these companies and some of these practices?
2: So it's very interesting, you know, when, when we launched SparkNet, you know, BarCap is the investment bank, SparkNet is the tech platform. And when we launched that and said to our private network, initially it was just a closed kind of circle that we're doing this and we're going to focus on kind of investments in the future. And, and, and so, you know, please, you know, give us some referrals and and tell us what you're looking at in terms of investing in and where, where you're involved, whether as an investor or as a board member, et cetera. We almost got as many psychedelics deals referred to us as cannabis, (laughs) which which was, yeah, which was surprising to me. And so we, we have, because a lot of the folks had done cannabis deals and now they're, they have, established kind of businesses in the kind of space. And now they're using that network to facilitate the psychedelic side. So we have a range of things. We like to curate the deals so that investors that are accredited that enter that platform can look at fewer things you know it's, it's all, almost like when i go on amazon i'm like uh, okay i wish somebody that has a <laughs> yeah. similar taste to me just told me two or three things in whatever yeah. category you know yeah. so i can pick it and so we we try to work with folks that demonstrate and get over that bar of showing us that they've done kind of the work and they have quality management teams and obviously the investor still has to do the due diligence and, and, and nothing is, is, is gonna work out perfectly uh, okay. unless you know the right things align. But it was fascinating to me how many investors recommended companies that they're involved with and the reasons why. And, and many times it was because of personal stories and reasons that they were involved with some of these companies, but obviously also with the underpinning that they thought they could use their existing businesses and, and distribution networks and connections to experts To move these companies forward, you know, at a faster pace.
1: Yeah. And, and who's doing the investments? I mean, who's actually interested in investing in psychedelics at this point? Is it similar to cannabis? Different from cannabis? What are you noticing? Pretty similar. I think there's a
2: more of an educational hurdle for psychedelics. So I, we see less kind of high net worth uh, folks at this time investing in them, unless they're, they're mostly doing it on the public end, you know, with, okay. with some of the companies that are public, but you know, there is some, some flow from that side, family offices that have done healthcare or cannabis or know their way around some of the areas we talked about, they are, you know, mainly driving it, you know, but there's others too. It's it's not just a U.S. story. It's also a European story. I, I met um, Christian Angermeyer, who's um, involved with a tie at um, SALT, which was a conference in New York City last summer, mm-hmm. and a conversation with him around it. And, you know, there's a lot of great R&D coming out of, you know, Europe as well. So there's different folks involved. I'd say there's some larger institutions that are investing, but they're doing it in a kind of covered up way (laughs) you know they're kind of they're doing it through entities that are not directly linked to them currently which is very similar to what they did in the cannabis space you know
1: a number of years ago yeah just to keep their kind of keep their distance or or keep some separation with this with the new entities I know there's has pleasure. If people want to find out more about you, about Bar, about Sparknet, what's the best way to get that information? Sure. They can
2: certainly reach out to me on LinkedIn, but the website for Bar Capital is www.barcapital.com. That's the investment bank. And then Sparknet is www.s-p-a-r-k-n-e-t-t.com. And people can submit deals there as well as apply if they're accredited investors, to get reviewed by our team and, and be led into the private network to explore opportunities on that. And and I'll just mention that Bar Capital and any members of Bar Capital are all registered representatives uh, through Finalis, which is our broker dealer.
1: Got it. Yes. No. So it's all, all part of the making sure everyone's right, uh, accredited investors and right people are on the platform. Go through those checks and balances. Excellent. This has been a pleasure. And uh, thank you so much for taking the time today. Thank you, Bruce. Always a pleasure.
0: Thank you for listening to the Psychedelic Invest podcast. If you liked this episode, please be sure to leave a five-star rating and leave us a review. You can find more episodes on all the major podcasting platforms and our website at psychedelicinvest.com slash podcast.